So I want uh, this evening to uh, focus on just a a few of the the verses that we've read. If you're familiar at all with the uh, book of uh, Colossians, uh, you'll know that uh, Paul had been informed by Epaphras, who was a a minister to the Colossian church, uh, if not its founder, that the church was in danger from various uh, false teachings. Some of those attacked uh, the truth regarding the person uh, and nature of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I wanted us today to to focus on verses 15 uh, through to 20 under the title of The Wonders of God the Son and see how uh, Paul affirms in very clear terms who Jesus is and what he has done. We need nothing more than what we have uh, in him. Here we're on holy ground and these truths are as vital for us to affirm today as they were in Paul's day. Cults, isms, uh, so-called liberal Christians and even some who call themselves evangelical Christians uh, continue to attack the doctrines of the full deity of Jesus Christ and of the redemption he procured through the shedding of his precious blood on the cross. Many of these uh, false teachers may use evangelical-sounding uh, language, and when speaking about the Lord Jesus, they may even call him uh, the Son of God, but they will not accept that he is uh, also God the Son in the true biblical sense. So we'll consider, let's consider firstly verses uh, 15 through 17, uh, where we see the Creator Son. We're told that he is the image of the invisible God. So we need to ask ourselves, in what sense does Paul uh, mean that Jesus uh, is the uh, image of God? We know that man was made in the image of God. And that implies that there was uh, some moral and spiritual likeness between uh, God and mankind. We share certain attributes. Now, there are obvious differences. Adam was created as innocent, but he wasn't holy. He was able to and did sin. And that sin then marred the uh, image of God in the human race. That image is being restored uh, in Christ. He is the one who makes us new creations. He is the one who tells us through Paul in Ephesians, put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. But clearly, there are still huge differences. None of us are omnipotent or omniscient or omnipresent. Uh, You may recall that in a a confrontation dispute with some of his enemies, uh, the Lord Jesus asked for a a denarius. And he asked them, whose image and inscription is this? And the answer, as you know, was that it was the image of Caesar. But that was a very imperfect likeness. So when we're considering what sense does Paul mean that uh, Jesus is in the image of God, what does he mean? There's a, a different level of likeness that's being spoken of here than that which was seen in Adam. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 49 says, 
And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. The second Adam then is, is far superior, that, and it's him whose image that we will ultimately receive. Paul says in, in Romans eight twenty nine, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So again, we ask ourselves, well, in what extra sense then is Paul saying that Jesus is uh, the image of God? That image is so much superior, which is why Jesus could say to the Apostle Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? The writer to the Hebrews uh, makes the same point in, in chapter 1. It says in verse 3 that Jesus is the brightness of his, that is God's, glory and the express image of his per- person. And by that uh, word image, the writer means it an exact, a precise, a, a perfect uh, reproduction in every respect. It's uh, as if uh, the father were an engraving tool uh, with which he, he stamps the son and thus the son bears a perfect uh, imprint. The brightness of his glory means that the glory of God is shining through him. And just as the uh, sun uh, shines so brightly that we can't look on it directly uh, safely, so God's brightness shines out of the Lord Jesus because he is God. Verse 15, you know, notice there it says he is the image of the invisible God, which has that extra thought suggested by the word invisible that Christ is the visible representation and manifestation of God to created beings. That God is invisible is the clear teaching of the whole of, of Scripture. And it's reflected in some of our, our hymns, you know, such as immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. So that which uh, was invisible is made visible. In Christ, this perfect likeness is unique because it arises from the fact that the Father and the Son are of the same essence. Jesus reveals the Father to the world, not just externally, but in his whole being and his character and his manifestation of divine powers. Philippians 2 and verse 6, speaking of Christ, says, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God? Now, it wouldn't be a robbery to claim equality if the two are equal. And that's why you know, it wasn't robbery. He is God. That equality uh, of the Father and the Son we see uh, throughout uh, the New Testament, particularly perhaps uh, in uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, we have the same idea, actually, if you just look down to verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness uh, should dwell. There's no element left out of the deity within Christ. And think of some of the uh, claims that uh, our Lord made. He claimed pre-existence. He claimed the ability to forgive sin. He had the ability to raise himself uh, from the dead. And he claimed to be one uh, with the Father. John 1 tells us that the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In John 8, we read that Jesus made the statement, before Abraham was, I am. And in chapter 10, we see that the Jews wanted to kill him because they realized that he was making himself equal uh, to God. So when Paul says that the Son is the image of the invisible God, he means that when you look at him, you are looking at God because he is God. Paul also calls him here uh, the firstborn over all creation or over every creature. To be firstborn means to have the rights of inheritance, implying superiority and preeminence. It's a a non-literal use of the term firstborn, uh, which is also found elsewhere in the scriptures. So in verse 18, it refers to uh, the Lord as the firstborn from the dead. We see it also in other scriptures. In Exodus 4, uh, the Lord says, And you shall say unto Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. In Psalm 89, speaking of David, God says, Also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. David was the the last uh, son of Jesse, so the firstborn must be referred to rank uh, and not just birth. So Jesus is not part of uh, creation. He's the firstborn over all creation, which is perhaps slightly uh, clearer than the, the KJV's rendering of the firstborn of every creature. Lord Jesus, then, is the supreme ruler, preeminent in all the universe. According to Hebrews 1, he was appointed heir of all things. He has the firstborn's rights. He owns the entire universe by right of inheritance. He is not a creature, but the creator. John 1 and verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now, clearly, he didn't make himself, and Paul uh, says this in in verse 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. It was all things, not everything else, but all things. Now, because the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, regard Uh, the Lord Jesus as a uh, created uh, being. Their translation of the the Bible inserts the word other before all things in this verse. In fact, they do it five times in this uh, passage. This fundamentally alters the the meaning of of the text here. He's got no basis uh, linguistically. But it's so that they can argue that uh, God created the Lord Jesus and then the Lord Jesus then created everything else. Some uh, philosophers in in Paul's day, and we get hints of that in in Colossians and elsewhere, argued that uh, God is, is good and perfect and holy, but the matter is intrinsically evil. So God couldn't be directly involved in creation. But Paul surely here directly 
contradicts such a view and to emphasize the universality of God the Son's creation. He refers to a heaven, that's the sky and the abode of God, and to earth. So everything, everywhere, every type of creature, whether visible or invisible, Christ made the angels, he made those who occupy thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. He's not just an angel like the archangel Gabriel, as uh, some would claim. This is clear from uh, Hebrews 1, where uh, the writer says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So we don't need to pray to uh, angels as uh, some in Paul's day taught, nor be overawed by them, nor be unduly uh, afraid of uh, fallen angels. For the one who created all things, he is the one who has set his love upon us. Our text says, by him all things were created. He's the the person and the channel causing creation to come into being. Now, however we understand the the different uh, creatures that are referred to as thrones or dominions, principalities uh, and, and powers... It's clear that Christ uh, made uh, them. So we shouldn't be looking to those powers uh, or any other intermediary uh, for our salvation, but to find it in Christ. Now, if Jesus is uh, the creator, as stated here, and Genesis 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then clearly the conclusion must be, therefore, Jesus is God. And that's another of the reasons why the Jehovah's Witnesses insert the word other in the text repeatedly to justify their lower view of Christ uh, as the only a, a being created by God. And in that sense, the only begotten uh, of the Father. But that's not the teaching of the scriptures. Not only do we see here that all things were created by him, but that all things were created for him. All of creation, and we in particular, were created for him and to bring him uh, glory. So Paul goes on to say uh, in in verse 17 that he is before all things. So Paul is confirming that Jesus is or was pre-existent. Again, the Jehovah Witnesses insert other ahead of all things because they deny that he was before in time. Even though, you know, from John 1 and verse 1, we have, in the beginning, was the word. This pre-existence in eternity past also uh, is an evidence for us that there was no matter in existence uh, before creation, nothing to uh, make the uh, big bang. But there was God in three persons. 
Jesus was not only there in the beginning, he is also the beginning. That's why he can call himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We've got a similar verse uh, thought in verse uh, 18, where we're told he is the beginning. He is the origin. He's the initiator. He's the creator. So not only is he before in time, he is before in rank. He's preeminent. We're also told that, and in him, all things consist or are set together. And similarly, Hebrews 1, uh, 3 says, he is upholding all things by the word of his power. So it is the Lord Jesus who is holding together the very uh, particles within our our body. The the son uh, was the one who could create. As God spoke the word, let there be, and so there was. It's the son who created, and it's the son who holds uh, creation uh, together. Some of you may uh, know rather more about physics than, than, than I do, but I'm sure we're all familiar with uh, the law which says that uh, like charges electricity and magnetism repel each other. And so one of the, the puzzles uh, for, for physics is why then don't positively charged protons in uh, the, the center of an atom, why don't they blow apart? And the explanation uh, for, that's given for this is the existence of the uh, so-called Higgs uh, boson, or uh, God particle. It's so important to the, the, the model, uh, standard model in physics because it signals the existence of something called the Higgs field, which gives uh, these elements, uh, particles, mass. Some scientists, including Stephen Hawking, they've speculated that this particle could be responsible for the eventual destruction of the universe. It's also suggested that this particle could have destroyed the cosmos shortly after it was born, causing the universe to collapse just after the supposed Big Bang. Well, whilst... uh, scientists struggle to understand the mechanism uh, for holding things together. The reality is that God the Son holds all things together. And in his, his time, in the day of the Lord, the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Well, let's move on uh, to my second point and look, consider the preeminent Son, verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the uh, preeminence. He's the head of the body. Christ is the head. Nobody else, uh, not a pastor, a bishop, an archbishop or pope uh, or a body of church officers. We know that the head uh, controls. It decides, it informs the parts of the body, so the Son uh, guides us directly or indirectly through the word of truth with the aid of the Holy Spirit. We know that a person's head is totally vital to the function and life of the body. If you remove the head, the body will soon uh, die. If a church 
Now, if we try to operate uh, without our head, however active and capable its leaders or members, then it's no more alive in reality than a headless chicken. This is even clearer in uh, Ephesians 4, where Paul says that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Jesus, then, is the head of the body, the church. Each part of this uh, living uh, organism is utterly dependent upon him, but also each part has a vital role uh, to play, and no part should be regarded as uh, being less important than another part. The church, then, is the body of Christ uh, on earth and should manifest his attributes to the world around us. It is the ecclesia, those called out of the world and into Christ's body, so only believers are a part of the true church and should be recognised as such as members of that church. The Lord Jesus, then, is preeminent in his church, and he comes first in all things, for he is the beginning. He initiates all things, including our salvation. He is the firstborn from the dead. Now, we know that he was not the first to be raised uh, from the dead, for he himself raised others uh, from the dead. And he certainly wasn't born uh, from the dead. But he's superior to all those who will be raised uh, from the dead, for he had the power to lay down his life and the power to take it up again. And he will raise his people up to eternal life and blessing if we trust uh, fully in him and acknowledge him as first in our lives and in the universe. So whether we're thinking of creation, the universe, the church or life itself, God the Father's desire and decree for God the Son was that in all things he may have the preeminence. This is what Paul wants the Colossians and us to realise. Jesus is preeminence. He has first place in all things, not just all other things, because he is God. And we must acknowledge this in the church and in every aspect of our lives. Verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. So we have something here, a part of the wonder of the true nature of Jesus Christ, that he was always and will always be God in the flesh. This is not even just some extra uh, filling of a man by the Holy Spirit. It's all the fullness. So there could be uh, nothing more uh, added. It means that all the deity of God is permanently residing uh, in the Lord Jesus. It also means that the Lord Jesus is unique for all God's fullness was poured into him. God didn't just put part of his fullness into Jesus. He, in no sense, is a lesser uh, being. And because of this, uh, chapter 2 and and verse 3 says that uh, in whom, that is Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as John 1 tells us, he is the word who became flesh, full of grace and truth. 
Or as Hebrews tells us, he is God's final self-revelation. So we don't need to look anywhere else uh, for, for wisdom or knowledge. It's all to be found in him as revealed by his spirit through his word. The word became flesh. And that was part of God's eternal plan and purpose. We're told that it pleased the Father. Before time itself, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit determined their plans for creation, for salvation and the ultimate blessed fellowship between God and his people for all eternities. He wanted to be our God and for us to be uh, his people. And that plan is... Uh, alluded to there in in verse 20 where we see thirdly and lastly the reconciling son verse 20 and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him whether uh, things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross so the hymn here obviously refers to Christ and himself to God in order to bring True reconciliation, the mediator between man and God, needed to be both uh, man and God. Now, to reconcile is to bring warring parties back together, uh, or the term can be applied in the sense of restoring a marriage uh, relationship. But here he's not just talking about merely human relationships, but the relationships between humans and gods. Uh, furthermore, the word here is an intensified form of the normal word for uh, reconciliation, uh, perhaps because of the false teachers that were around in Colossae. Paul's saying that through the Son, we are being thoroughly or completely or totally uh, reconciled. We don't have to climb some sort of spiritual uh, ladder of different levels of closeness uh, to God as uh, claimed by uh, the Gnostics, nor add anything to the accomplishments of uh, the Lord Jesus on the cross in order to be brought into his family, as others uh, amongst the false teachers claimed. We, as sinners, we start, uh, started as enemies of God, but as a result of this reconciliation, we've become friends of God, become part of his family, and we have fellowship with him. Now, Paul is not teaching here a, a, a universal uh, salvation, but that all things will be brought into a proper relationship uh, with him, whether willingly or unwillingly. We have the same uh, thought in, in Philippians 2, where we read, Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus came to reconcile all things to God, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So it's not just people. God created uh, all things through Christ and declared creation to be God. Good, but sin entered in. And it caused not only humankind, but all creation to be uh, cursed and marked and polluted, uh, polluted by fallen men and fallen angels. So creation needs to be uh, redone. And we're told elsewhere that there will be 
a new heavens and a new earth. And we see the same truths in, in Romans 8, where we read, For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature, that is creation, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And just as Christ created all things and sustains all things, so he reconciles all things that can be reconciled. This passage surely totally contradicts uh, the, the heretics who claim that matter is evil and only spirit is good. For Christ is reconciling the material in universe and flesh and bone humans to God. And he will dwell bodily uh, with his people for all eternity. How did he achieve us achieve that? Well, our text tells us, having made peace through the blood of of his cross and this fundamentally is why uh, the Lord Jesus was born why he went to the cross humankind had rebelled uh, against and is at war with its creator God's wrath was rightly uh, poured out against our sin his holiness and justice demand that a penalty be paid for our rebellion against God the Lord Jesus brings peace where there was war because he is both fully God and fully man, holy, sinless, the perfect sacrifice of infinite value, the saving those who turn to him uh, from judgment and everlasting punishment. Also, uh, if you just look down at verses 21 and 2, it says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So all who truly turn to him can enjoy the blessing of reconciliation uh, with God. It's not just a cessation of hostilities. He brings uh, peace with him now and for all eternity. But there was a, an awful uh, price. You know, it was the, uh, the blood of of uh, the cross I, I wonder for whom would you be willing to uh, shed your blood perhaps for a dear member uh, of the family or perhaps to uh, defend our, our country in a war well let me uh, read to you briefly from, from Romans uh, 5 and verses 6 to 8 for when we were still without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would, would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have a redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of uh, sins. He did that uh, for me, if he did that for you, whilst we were still uh, sinners, you know, what can we do uh, for, for him? We can never uh, repay uh, the debt without the shedding of blood. There's no remission of sins. On the cross, he bore the punishment 
of his people's sins, he took their curse. For as the scripture says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. (coughs) The verses then have told us that the Lord Jesus is so glorious, he's so far above all, that if we have him as our saviour, we need nothing more. He is the creator, he is the sustainer of all things. He is the head of the church, he is the heir of all things. He's first over all who will be raised from the dead. Through the blood of his cross, he brought peace with God for all his people, all those who truly repent and put their faith in him. So if anyone here has not yet bowed the knee to the one who is far above all, why will you not uh, turn to him for peace, joy and forgiveness? May we all find our sufficiency in this glorious Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. Amen.